May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. If you're like us, you probably have the tradition of spending at least a bit of time in the run-up to Christmas watching Christmas movies. That can be a kind of tricky process of selecting them. We have a rather fragile American understanding of what constitutes a Christmas movie. But one of the standards and one of the ones that's probably more arguably a part of the Christmas canon of movies to watch is versions of Dickens' Christmas Carol. And growing up, I must confess to you, I never really completely understood Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh sure, intellectually I did. The power of greed, the driving obsession that isolates and shrivels someone's soul, the bitterness that grows year after year in human beings if we give ourselves to it. And I've known people like that, in fact. But I've never been able to identify with it viscerally. I've never understood why someone wouldn't love a party, why someone wouldn't love to surprise someone else, why someone wouldn't take pleasure in watching someone else light up with joy and recognition at being given a gift that was selected especially for them. Don't get me wrong here, I'm not laying claim to greater virtue than Scrooge. Frankly, I'm just a hopeless romantic, and I've always been. And I really enjoy a day of unplugging from the routine of drive, drive, drive that is part and parcel of American life. And intuitively, I suspect that most of us also enjoy that kind of day. A bit of peace, a bit of relief from the routine, freedom from strife, protection for the poor, shelter for the homeless, reconciliation between people at war with one another, whether those wars are small or large, domestic or national, healing for the sick, and comfort for those who grieve. It's a very, very human thing to long for all of that on a given day. And there are also very good theological reasons for longing for them. The coming of Christ, the birth of the Christ child, signals the coming of the kingdom of God. And all of those things are arguably a part of that kingdom and of God's work. But the celebration of Christmas signals the dawn of that reality, not its completion. And Christmas does not give us a pass on life's challenges or the freedom to ignore the brokenness around us. To the contrary, the celebration of Christmas is meant to ground our lives in an awareness that the world is not yet fully what it is meant to be. 
It is meant to strengthen our resolve to meet those challenges, and it is meant to remind us that the coming of the Christ child, who is Emmanuel, God with us in it all the way, is the reason to hope that that effort will not be in vain. To think otherwise, then, to give ourselves to escape, to ignore life's realities, might be thoroughly human. But to surrender to that impulse is a failure of nerve and, above all, an act of faithlessness. Worse yet, it misunderstands the nature of the Christmas celebration itself. The Christian observance of Christmas is not 24 hours of denial, a day of hiding out from reality, or a day filled with wishful thinking. That version of it is a cultural creation that has been layered on top of the church's celebrations. That's the version that can be shared with people who don't believe in God, who don't go to church, and who don't take any of that very seriously. But the church's observance of Christmas is something very different. It is an exercise in getting clear about what the world is really like, an exercise in getting honest about ourselves, about our dependence upon God, and about the nature of God revealed in the one who is both God and human being. It is an exercise in communal and personal transformation, an exercise in setting priorities, of grounding our lives in God, of starting a new year with a single point of devotion. And these truths are the truths that we should lean into at Christmas rather than try to escape. We should be far more concerned about the romanticized nullification of Christmas than we are about the so-called war on Christmas. We should be far more concerned about the self-invested way in which we celebrate Christmas than the annual naysaying of atheists. We should be far more concerned about our faithlessness than we are about the willingness of the world or our nation to defend our faith. And we should be far more concerned about the way in which Christians treat church as a consumer product rather than as the outpost for God-given mission that it is meant to be. Think about any of the stories that we have read over the course of Advent and Christmas time and you will realize that this is the case. Mary and Elizabeth respond faithfully to the call of God on their lives, each in a lonely act of obedience, and then support one another in a world that, if it gave them any thought at all, probably despised them. John the Baptist urges people to repent at the expense of comfortable friendships, and eventually his life. At God's urging, Joseph cares for Mary and her child, 
in spite of the fact that his life and any of the plans that he might have made were permanently disrupted. And together, Mary and Joseph find themselves dependent on the kindness of strangers to find a place for the birth of the child. And they are forced to flee when in a fit of paranoia, Herod wastes no time in killing hundreds of children in order to get to the one that he fears will replace him. These are not stories that claim that the world isn't really as bad as we think it is. These are not stories of people who do things that are socially acceptable or popular. They are not stories about getting and giving. They aren't stories about fat men, red suits, and children in footy pajamas, as much of a delight as that all is. And with apologies to Charles Dickens, they aren't even stories about how greedy old men can learn a lesson about simple kindness and generosity. As John's Gospel notes, he was in the world, and the world came into being with him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. They are stories about how God changes everything, stories that call for us to choose a side and live like we believe that that choice makes a difference. So my dear friends, this is my prayer and my benediction for those of us who celebrate the Christmas that we are intended to celebrate. May the lonely obedience of his mother, the God-bearer, prompt us to listen. May the faithful witness of Elizabeth shape your testimony to the power of the gospel. May the courageous obedience of John give you resolve. May the self-emptying of the Christ child prompt us to self-giving. May the solidarity of God with us inspire us to come alongside those that are defenseless. May the devotion of the shepherds and the kings prompt us to follow. May the word of hope, spoken in a world marked by hopelessness, give us courage. May the work of the one begun in Bethlehem shape our life's efforts. May the peace of Christ, which can only be found in doing his will, fill us. And may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be among us and remain with us always. Amen.